describe it but we know it's true and we pray that as we come together and worship today that as we experience your love for us anew we will express our love for you let this time of worship bring glory to you and that you would speak into our lives that we would know you more And we pray this through Christ. Amen. I invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today before you're seated. This is one of those things that makes your heart skip a beat. I'm so overwhelmed to see children laughing, smiling, and having beam on their face. This is a gift to be able to give a gift. I'm just overwhelmed by seeing these families and individuals who are praying with their kids. 
it's amazing what little items in a shoebox can do to change people's lives all across the world. And if they're the future leaders, then if they had a good foundation, then they'll be the best. Just remember, pray for these kids that get these boxes, that they'll come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God bless you, and have a Merry Christmas. It is the last day to bring your boxes for Operation Christmas Child. You can bring them anytime throughout today. Uh, we will be taking them tomorrow morning to the distribution center. So thank you for all of you who have brought boxes already, and uh, please feel free to bring them. You can lay them either back here in the foyer, in the Christian, uh, Christian Ed building foyer, or by the offices, and we'll make sure they get to the right center. We have one week left in our three-week, 24-7 prayer vigil, and uh, it's been exciting to see how God is working. It's, it's exciting to watch the, the lines fill up with names and people coming to pray and in and out and following each other. And, and so we have one week left. You can sign up this morning if you want. You can sign up anytime online, hwchurch.org slash prayer. And um, we hope that uh, this is a great week as we pray together. And next Sunday night at 6, uh, the prayer vigil ends, and we're going to have a celebration from 6 to 7 in the community room. We'll be having a chance to we'll sing together, have a chance to share a little bit, if you want, about maybe something that uh, you experienced during the, the prayer vigil. Uh, we will, as we've done every year, we'll do a little something to remember this prayer event that will hopefully keep it in front of us as the stones out here in the, the grass from the first year that we had the prayer vigil. So we hope you'll be a part of the, the vigil this week. There are a couple of inserts in your bulletin. Uh, this orange one's about the food pantry. Next Sunday is the, uh, the time every year when we bring food in and uh, try to restock our pantry. It is very low. We are helping probably, I would say, six to eight families every week, and uh, different families. And so we, we really need more food. So whatever you can bring, that would be greatly appreciated. You also notice on the back of that, there's a note from the campus store. And those of you who are connected to the college probably got this email. I'm sure you read every single email that comes into your inbox. Um, but this is about, the, the food, uh, about bringing food for the food pantry to the campus store and getting discounts on items there. So you want to see, look at that. Also, the... The youth convention, the, the blue insert, I see ways that you can get involved in that as well. Now, as I went to, to vote Tuesday, I was just reminded again of the amazing privilege that we have in this country to vote. You know, you think about place in the world, we don't have that freedom. And, and, and I was reminded about, you know, we have the freedom to not just vote for the candidate that we want and to mean something, but that we can talk about it. We can oppose a candidate if we want to, even sitting people who are sitting in office. And, and we have a freedom to, to, to do that. And we have freedom to come together and worship like today. And as I was pondering that, it, it was just struck me as so apropos that today we take a couple of minutes to remember two groups of people. And we're joining people all around the country doing this and even around the world in some cases. Because today, November 11th, is Veterans Day. And this is a day... When we remember and we honor the people who have sacrificed so that we have the freedoms that we have. And it's easy to forget that. Like me, we take them for granted sometimes. But there are people who have given their lives. And it's not, and, and even if they give their lives, they've given time and energy and so much of themselves so that we have freedom. And even not just the people who are in the military, but their families too, who have sacrificed because they were in the military. And we just want to say thank you today and um, to honor people who have been connected to the military and maybe are connected to the military now. And thank you for your service and for your willingness to sacrifice so that we have freedoms that we enjoy every day. And the other group of people that we're remembering today are brothers and sisters in places of the world who don't have the freedom. This is a day when we are joining churches all around the globe to pray for the persecuted church. And again, this is another element of the church that's easy for us to miss. We ignore because we have so much, so much freedom. But there are millions of, of our brothers and sisters in Christ who can't do what we are doing this morning. At least can't do that without the threat of violence against them. And, and people suffer every day simply because they are Christians. And we want to pray for them today. And hopefully today is a catalyst for us to continue praying for them. 
and that they would know our love and our support. And, and they are on the battle lines of some very, very difficult situations. And we want to pray for them and to remember them and to give thanks to God for his grace in their lives as his grace has been in our lives and that he would protect them. I want to give you an opportunity now to, uh, to give back to God from all the ways in which he has blessed us as the ushers come and assist us in our tithes and offerings. See the King of Glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes. The whole earth shakes. I see His love and mercy washing over. few moments praying together. If you'd like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please join me.
Father, we give you thanks for who you are and for all that you've done. We sing your praises because you are good and loving and merciful. And through your son, Jesus Christ, you have provided the way of salvation for us and for the whole world. So we come in worship and adoration, praise and thanksgiving. And we come interceding for people in need. Father, you see the pain in our hearts, the struggle in our minds, the struggles in our bodies. You know the ways in which we disappoint one another and hurt each other. and You see our self-centered behavior and our self-destructive choices. And we pray that you would heal us and forgive us. Father, we pray for all who are continuing to struggle from the effects of the superstorm Sandy and from the recent snowstorm this week. And we ask that you will, you will be merciful to them. That you will help the people who are doing the recovery work and that you will help them to be able to do what needs to be done as quickly as possible. And that in the midst of this tragedy and struggle and difficulty that there would be a new vision of you and your grace in the midst of this tragedy. We pray for the ministry of Operation Christmas Child and we ask you just use these simple gifts to reach children and their families and their communities for Christ. Let something of these boxes open eyes to your love. Father, we pray for our president and following this election, we ask that you would give to him wisdom. Help him as he, as he works with people who are closest to him. We pray that you would help him to lead in a way that honors you. And, and we pray that you, would, that you would help us as a nation that have been so divided by politics to be united in you and in your grace. We pray for your mercy and grace upon our president. Father, we thank you for everyone who has sacrificed for the freedoms that are ours in this nation. We're more privileged than we can imagine. And for all who suffer from the sacrifices of war and combat and all of the, the things that, that people have sacrificed we pray that you would bring grace and peace to their lives. Lord, we pray for your protection upon our brothers and sisters who live in places of persecution. It's so easy for us to forget that so many Christians in the world live with constant threats, with limited freedom to worship, and with the reality of violence against them simply because they call you Lord. Lord. Don't let us forget them and help them to know that we care for them and we remember them. And more than anything, though, help them to know that you are with them. Father, as your children in this place, fill us with your Holy Spirit. In the last week of our prayer vigil, speak deeply into our souls. Transform us in the depths of our being. Cleanse us from sin. Free us from the guilt of sin. Inspire us and equip us to live in faith and joy and truth and courage and in love. And we pray all of this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. morning. So I've been uh, 
spending a little bit of time uh, looking at different things on uh, my Facebook and Twitter accounts, I've noticed a few people in, uh, in November uh, taking each day, the date of the day, and, and listing in November 1st, and one thing they're thankful for, November 2nd, another thing they're thankful for, and just sort of a simple discipline, if you will, to remember throughout this month where we celebrate Thanksgiving to list the, uh, the things that we're thankful for. And uh, I know I've thought this before, but since I've got the microphone, it has nothing to do with what I'm saying, but uh, just sitting here this morning and realizing how thankful I am for our worship team and the great job they do. You know, I've been to a lot of different churches and a lot of different places, and I really honestly think that the folks up here are amongst the best that I've ever experienced. So I just really am thankful today for the, uh, the job that our worship team does. I'm also thankful that it's become a bit of a tradition here at Houghton Wesleyan to combine our faith promise offering with our prayer vigil in the fall. Seems appropriate that as we spend time in prayer, seeking God's direction for our lives, that we also seek his direction for our individual commitment to that offering. For those of you that may not be familiar with the concept of faith promise giving, it means to make a commitment to give above and beyond your regular, normal giving as God provides the resources Three years ago, we as a church made a decision to experiment with faith promise giving in our missions budget. We selected several areas to target, and we set a modest goal of just over $7,000. God provided more than triple the goal. Last year, we decided to extend the experiment. We prayerfully raised the goal with a little bit of fear and trepidation, to $25,000. Again, God provided the goal and more. Seems to be a theme here. God provides. We pray, we hear, we obey, we trust. And whether it's financing the work of Wesleyan Native Ministries maybe training national ministry leaders abroad, partnering with our youth to drill a well in Africa, or maybe supporting our historical partnership in Sierra Leone. God provides. Last spring, we decided as a congregation to set this year's Faith Promise offering goal at $30,000. This money, we need to remember, is in addition to our regularly budgeted missions budget and targets very specific goals here in Houghton, in Allegheny County, across the country, and around the world. The specific areas are listed on the screen for you. I won't touch on all of them, but it's interesting to me to look down through there and see things like our, our community service. Uh, some of you know that is bene our benevolent fund meets immediate needs here in our community and the surrounding area when unexpected expenses uh, arise and folks maybe can't afford to take care of them. Or the Houghton Wesleyan Church Food Pantry, which we will bring, be bringing guests for next week. Both of those target needs right here at home, sort of our own Jerusalem. And then you look at things like Wellspring Ministries, which meets needs in Allegheny County, or the Jericho Road Ministries, which is a way that we reach out into the community in Buffalo, sort of our, our Judea and Samaria. And then you look at other things, whether it's short-term missions trip or maybe the World Hope International Well Project, where we're going to partner with our youth. I don't know how many of you have kept your eyes on this, but we've got a group in our, our youth group that have been working for several years to raise funds to drill a well in Africa. And this offering this year will allow us to partner with them to get that job completed, taken care of. All of those things and, and others up there come together for our goal of $30,000 this year. The plan is to introduce the goal today and have you begin asking God what your part of this goal should be. This might be a good topic to add to your list for your time in the prayer room. We will pass out commitment cards next Sunday on the 18th, and we will collect them with our commitments on December 2nd. Remember, faith promise giving is not figuring out what you can afford to give. It's asking God in faith 
to provide resources, the source of which we may not even know at this point, with the promise to put that amount toward his work as he gives. We as a church want to faithfully represent God in our world, at home and abroad. This offering helps us to do that. Thank you for your participation. Scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 1, verses 19 through 42. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man whom you see the Spirit come down on and remain is the one, or is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. And tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing.
How do you make an impact on the world for Jesus? What do you say? What do you do? What does that even look like? What does it mean to be an effective witness for Jesus? In a world of people who desperately need Jesus, what does God expect of his followers? That's a question that I have wrestled with for a long time. And and I wonder if maybe hearing a little bit of my story might help you to answer that question for yourselves. I'm sorry, I should introduce myself. I'm, I'm Andrew. I was born in a little village of Bethsaida on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Bethsaida is famous for, well, not much of anything. It's a, it's a pretty obscure fishing village. A little obscure place, I don't know, maybe kind of like Houghton. I was fortunate in, in being raised in a family that, was, that taught me about God. In, in a Hebrew family where we learned the scriptures and we went to the synagogue and we prayed together and we heard continually about the glorious Messiah who would come, who would bring the glory of Israel back once again like it was for King David. I just wasn't quite sure exactly what to do with everything I had learned. And maybe that's why John the baptizer was so appealing to me and why I walked 50 miles down to the Jordan River to hear him and to be around him and then eventually ended up staying with him as one of his disciples. John was an intriguing guy. 
I mean, he was a man of integrity and faith. And, and he loved to challenge the religious leaders. And we kind of liked him when he did that. And John's message was pretty simple. Really just two ideas. People need to repent from their sins and be baptized as a sign of that repentance. And the Messiah, this one we've been waiting for, the one that Moses spoke about and David spoke about and the prophets spoke about, is this Messiah is coming soon. And we would sit and listen to John and, and take in all that he was saying. And, and it's not that John was really one of those mainstream preachers. I mean, you know, John's a little quirky, a little out there, you know. I mean, the hair, the clothes, the eating locusts and honey. But, man, he had this magnetic personality. Something about him just made us want to stay with him and hear him. And then one day, everything changed. One day, a guy came by that John baptized, just like he baptized hundreds of people before. But this guy was different. Unfortunately, I missed it. I wasn't there that day. But the next day, John was teaching, and I was sitting with the group listening. And he stopped, and he pointed his finger at a man walking toward us. And he said, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I said was before me and surpassed me. How do you walk away from something like that? So one of the other guys and I, we decided we would follow this guy. And, and so we were trying to do it a little bit surreptitiously because we were excited to think that maybe this was the Messiah, but we're also pretty intimidated by the fact that we might actually meet the Messiah. And so we're kind of hanging back and thinking he didn't see us. And then he stopped and turned around. And he said, what do you want? You ever had one of those experiences where somebody sort of challenges you, speaks to you, and you don't know what to say? You're so nervous and, and frightened, you just sort of stutter over all your words. And, and that's how it was. I mean, if this guy really was the Messiah, what do you say to him? How do you respond to that? I just sort of stared at him for a moment. And then the first thing that came out of my mouth was, Rabbi, where are you staying? thought, oh man, that's the best I could do? Rabbi, where are you staying? Come on. I, I should have asked him something theological. I should have, I should have asked him about, was he really the, the Christ? All I could come up with is, where are you staying? But he didn't seem to mind. His tone of voice, the smile on his face. He said, guys, come and see. And we went to his house. And the whole afternoon, we sat with him while he spoke to us. And he talked to us about the kingdom. He talked to us about God in ways I'd never thought of before. He, he told me about myself, about things I'd never thought of before. He made God real. It was amazing. And when we were done, well into the evening, we shut the door of his house. All I could think of was, I got to go find my brother. I wasn't sure exactly how Peter was going to respond. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's a little easier to share those personal spiritual things with strangers than it is with the people who really, really know us. I wasn't sure what Peter was going to say, what he was going to do, what he believed me. But all of that disappeared as I came running down the beach yelling, we found the Messiah, we found the Messiah. And I saw his face just light up. And I took Peter back to Jesus and I introduced them and they talked. And for the next few weeks, that's all Peter and I could talk about was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And one day we were sitting by the shore mending our nets. See, we were fishermen. And all our family, all our family's fishermen. My grandfather's a fisherman, my father's a fisherman. When you grow up in Bethsaida, you don't really have a lot of choices about what you're going to do. You just follow the family business. It's, it's what you do. It's kind of who you are. It's the way it is. If your family works with wood, you know you're going to grow up and be a carpenter. And if your family's part of the Levitical line, you, you grow up, you know you're going to work in the synagogue or the temple. And, and if your family works with nets and boats and out in the water, you know you're going to be a fisherman. And that's what we were. Andrew the fisherman. Peter the fisherman. That's how people knew us. 
And that day we're sitting there on the shore, mending our nets after a night of fishing, talking about Jesus. And we hear a voice behind us and turn around and it's him. And he says, guys, leave your nets. Come follow me. And we did. Just like that. It was at the same time the hardest and easiest decision we ever made. Because we left our identity lying on that beach. We left everything we knew about life on that beach. That was our family. That was our heritage on the beach. And that part of it was hard, but it was easy to be drawn to Jesus. And I think that's why I, all I really wanted to do after encounter after encounter with Jesus was to just introduce as many people to him as I could. I remember one day we were we were out by the by the shore in this little in this desert area and Jesus sat down and he was teaching and as always happened people began to to crowd around and they brought their sick the sick and the lame and injured and Jesus healed them and and he taught and and people were just enthralled and more and more people kept coming and we lost total track of time until we began to hear babies crying and toddlers getting restless and, and people murmuring about missing lunch and being hungry for supper. And we realized, man, it's late in the afternoon and nobody's had a thing to eat. And the, we disciples got together and said, we got to get these people out of here. And we went to Jesus and said, Jesus, we got to do something. Got to let these people out of here. And Jesus said to us, no, no, no. I can't send them away like that. I can't let these women and children and men walk three or four miles without any nourishment. And then he looked at us and said, you guys, give them something to eat. Are you kidding me? What? What are we going to give them to eat? We have nothing. And we talked among ourselves. And, and I remembered a little boy I had seen earlier in the day. He looked like he was by himself. And so I, I went over to him late in the morning and talked to him, met him. And I noticed he had a little bag lunch. And I thought, he's probably eating it, but I'll find him. And I saw him and I went to him and I said, Daniel, how are you? He said, okay. I said, would you like to meet Jesus? Oh, man. He's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I said, all right, I'll take you to meet Jesus. Just one thing. I think he's going to want your lunch. Why? Why would he want my lunch? I said, I don't even know exactly, but he's looking for food. You've got, what do you got in there? And he opened it up. He had a couple little fish, about five rolls. I don't, he's not going to do anything with that, but all right. I said, would you be willing to give it to him? You probably aren't going to get it back. He said, okay. So I took him by the hand and I led him to Jesus. And I introduced him. I said, Jesus, this is Daniel. And Jesus did the most amazing thing. He got down on his knees and he looked at this little boy, I don't know, six, seven years old, right in the eyes. And he said, Daniel, it's so nice to meet you. I am so glad you're here today. And the little boy just sort of stuck out his hand with his lunch in it. He didn't say a word the whole time. You could tell he was just, you know, starstruck meeting Jesus. And I said, Daniel has a little lunch and he said he'd be willing to contribute it. And Jesus smiled and he gave him a hug and he said, thank you. And for the next two hours, that little boy stood over there and watched Jesus Feed, I don't know, 8, 10, 12,000 people with that little lunch. I wish I'd kept track of him. Stayed in touch with him, but I'm pretty sure he grew up to be a man who was continually giving to Jesus whatever he had. tell you one other story. We didn't know it at the time. It was the last week of Jesus' earthly life. It was kind of strange because Jesus had been avoiding Jerusalem for quite some time. They wanted to kill him. We understood that. But then out of the blue, he says, we're going to Jerusalem. Thinking, all right, well, we'll probably just sneak in the back. And try to hang, hide out in some people's homes and, and make this as surreptitious a trip as possible. But Jesus had other plans. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey 
with these crowds lining the road, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and laying palm branches in the street. And I'm thinking to myself, well, they know you're here now. And then he goes to the temple and he thrashes the money changers and he turns over the tables and he throws them out. And he takes a whip and smacks them. And he says, you guys are preventing the Gentiles from praying because you're set up here. Stop it. Get out of here. I'm thinking, man, he is really getting it now. And of course he did. But I think it was, I think it was Tuesday of that week. Jesus was out teaching, crowd around him, as was always the case. And we were just sort of trying to control the people. And I feel this tap on my shoulder, turn around, it's Philip, one of the disciples. And he pulls me aside and he says, Andrew, I don't know what to do. I said, what? He said, there are some people here from Greece. And they're not Jews. And they don't really know much about God, but they want to see Jesus. What do we do? You know... All of us disciples, we each sort of understood something different about all the things Jesus taught us. And, and there were lots of things that none of us got. But, but it seemed like each one of us sort of grabbed hold of something different about the teachings of Jesus. And the one thing that, that I saw right away was that Jesus welcomed everyone. And there was, there was never a time when Jesus would turn anyone away. Never, never a person that Jesus said wasn't worthy to come and meet him. And I said to Philip, oh, I think Jesus would want to meet them. Let's go. And we took them and I introduced them to Jesus. And out of that conversation, Jesus talked about his impending death and his resurrection. And it became an amazing teaching moment. You know, as I think back on my life, I, I kind of put it into perspective of my life compared to my brother Peter. We're really different. We've always been different. Peter's loud and boisterous, and I'm quiet and reserved. Peter's impetuous. He'll do anything in a moment. And I like to plan things. I, I like to work things out first. And Peter is the life of the party. He's the one everybody says, wow, he, let, let's hang out with Peter. And I'm more in the background. And I realize that I'm probably never going to write a life of Christ like John or Matthew. And I don't think I'm going to preach to thousands of people like Peter. I'm probably not going to be the leader of the churches like Paul. But God has laid it on my heart to be a person who just introduces people to Jesus. Who, who wants people to understand who Jesus really is. Now, what I've discovered is that that's all, for me, it's about relationships. That, that I, I spend time with people and, and I listen to people and care for people and love people. And out of those relationships, I have the opportunities to tell them about who Jesus is. And it's not as though I, I, I have relationships so that I can tell people about Jesus. But the people I'm in relationship with, the people I love and care about, I just want them to know Jesus the way I do because I want their lives to be transformed the way mine has been. And I love them too much not to introduce them to the one who can do that for them. I guess I kind of see myself being, I don't know, a bridge. I mean, I love those two paintings on the back walls there. Those paintings of bridges, of places where you take two things that are separate and you bring them together. And, and those, those bridges, are, that's how I see myself as a follower of Jesus. And I've discovered that it's not so much about me bringing people to Jesus as it is helping people bridge from Jesus, bring from Jesus to people. Because for a lot of people, what they don't need to hear is, you've got to trust Jesus. What they really need to hear is that 
that Jesus can be trusted. That he's good and loving. That he's gracious and generous to a fault. That he's the way and the truth and the life. And that he wants to change their lives. And that that empty space deep inside their soul, that there's an answer for that. And it's Jesus. I guess all I really want to be, all I really want to be remembered for is is that I was a disciple who introduced people to Jesus. That I was a bridge between Jesus and and others and that because people were in relationship with me, that they had an image of Jesus that maybe they wouldn't see any other way. That's what I want for my life. What do you want for your life? Maybe it would be good to just take a moment and to ponder that question. Please stand and join us as we sing. Lost are saved, find their way at the sound of your
receive the benediction. Go and let your light so shine before your family and your friends and those that God brings you into contact with. Let them see your faith in him that they may glorify our Heavenly Father.